Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation co-hosted by Lenya Wilson and myself, Alexandra Detalia. Listen to our conversations while we discuss race and womanhood at the hearth level. We're here to talk about education in the pandemic. Lenya, introduce our guest. So our guest today is the fantastic Arlita. And Arlita, you know, I don't know how to say your last name. Ilias. Ilias. But I, I, you know, there's only one Arlita out there. So my first name is fine. Fantastic. (laughs) Are you a one name? Now you're a one name woman. Now Arlita. I I mean, like, like you know, I go, yeah, I basically am because, you know, all throughout life, whenever a teacher would take role, I, I always knew when my name came because it, there was that freeze. <laughs> like they would call, they would call like, oh, Jessica, Maria. Then it's like, okay, I, yeah, I know my, that's my name. Like you're struggling to read it. That, that's me. Well, it is the natural thing is I would write Arlita. I would say Arlita and you'd have to correct me. And it's Arletta, right? Arlita. It is Arlita. Yeah. Okay. So the opposite of that. So the problem is that I would have, so I would write your name in my little notebook, right? As a teacher, I'd write Arlita, I'd write A-L-E and then draw a line over the E-E to make sure I remind myself it's like a hard E like that, a T and an A. And then I would probably describe you a little bit or or say who you reminded me of, you know? And then it would be my little like note to self on who you were and how to get your name right because yeah well I just found it odd because like for me like I'm pretty much like born and raised in the valley so I I went you know I went to school here and and I grew up here and there is a neighborhood in the valley called Arlita (laughs) so the fact that like teachers couldn't pronounce it I'm like well you know you know the neighborhood out there it's just it's the same thing (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, now what are we going to, we're both teachers. Like, are you going to start, are we going to start bad-mouthing educators? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's like any profession, right? There's oh, always yeah. one in every bunch. And it's always that one that makes everybody look, like, look poorly, look bad. Well, Arlie, yeah, let's, so I know. About, let's mean, tell us let's, a little bit about yourself, though. So I'm in a weird role. So I, you know, I went through like the the whole like education training process. But when I did my student teaching, I just, I couldn't deal with the parents. Like I love kids, but I hate parents. So I said, forget this. Like I'm, I'm not going to do it. And I, so I went into like the administrative role of education. Like I worked in the financial side because I have like a math and an accounting background. So I did that. And then I got a job at an independent charter high school where I'm situated on site. And then as I was working on site on their financial side, I I ended up working with their student government class and and teaching them how to you know run their budget, run a, a government for kids. And then and then some of them were doing their math homework in my office and then they were, you know, they were struggling. So I looked at it as like, oh, okay, well, like, you know, try this or try that. And then as more kids started coming, they're like, oh, how would you like to like take on some math classes? I was like, oh, okay. So it was kind of a reluctant thing because like, I didn't want to have to deal with parents. No, I get it. Parents are the worst. Well, my sister had a saying, she was also a teacher and she taught in inner city Baltimore and then taught Southside Chicago. And then she did one year at a kind of a wealthier school in suburban Maryland. And the saying or the adage goes, if you teach at a good school, you have a good administration. So it's the teacher versus the parent. If you teach at a bad school, it's you versus the administration. And my sister was just always as a teacher, I'd prefer me versus the administration. At the good school, she seriously had a parent one. She taught the fourth grade, Arlita. So you teach high school, but she had, she actually had a dad 
during the math sessions and the science sessions, he was like, I insist on, on, on seeing how you teach. And he would come into the classroom and stand behind his son's chair and like watch my sister teach. And this is when my sister was 27. I'm sure now at 50, she'd smack that stuff down, but yeah. So why are parents, why, why are parents so hard for you? Well, I'm at the quote, wealthier affluent school. Cause it's, cause the school that I'm in, it's in the Palisades. So it's like, it, it's in a, it's in an area where the parents are, are very involved and, and they have lots of time on their hands. So they, and, and they're very educated. So they always think they know best. Yes. And, you know, and, and some of them are okay. Some of them are like, some of them are wonderful, but then there's some that just, it's always about their child. Like, Oh, how come my child's not succeeding? And I'm like, well, maybe he's not trying. He's not trying hard enough. He's not putting in the work like here, let me show you. And they insist that everyone else is the problem, but not themselves. I mean, have you ever had the situation? Okay, I have lots of questions. So wait a minute, let's back up a little bit. <laughs> what is like, tell everybody what your cultural background is. So I'm Asian. I, my parents are from Indonesia. I'm a first, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a child of immigrant parents. So the idea of education was drilled in our heads. Like, you know, I grew up poor, so it was, we were always told every day, if you don't want to live like this for the rest of your life, you have to do well in school. You have to get an education that, that is your golden ticket out of, you know, out of Panorama city. Mm -hmm. That that's what we would, you know, me and my brother were told all our lives. Like, if you don't want to live like, like how you did now go to college, get your education. So that's exactly what I did. I made sure I got into a semi-decent school and within the UC system and got my education. And then I ended up in the education field. Well, how did you, why'd you decide to become a teacher? I liked kids. I liked the idea. I like. Okay. Let's parse this out a little bit because there's teenagers and there's kids. Like my sister loves kids. Like she really loved kids and like fourth graders and wanted to figure out how to help them like learning. Like that's what motivated her to become a teacher. You're teaching teenagers. Teenagers aren't bad. No, I know, but it's a different, like when you just say, well, I like kids. And most people, when they're thinking kids, they're thinking, oh, cause the cute little toddlers. Oh, they're, they're all kids. They're, they're all kids. Like even the teenagers are they may look like they're, you know, they're 30 years old with a full beard, but their mentality is still, they're still children. I know, but I just, I remember, and I granted, I remember going to, when I was at East Bay Habitat for Humanity as like a community development director, I like did a little like talk about volunteering for Habitat and, and doing volunteer work at Berkeley High School And I remember like going in and I was kind of looking for a post law career. Like I was like, maybe I'll be a high school teacher. And I went into that high school classroom and it was just the odor and of the children and the, the the odor is there. The odor is real. And and then the, the weird angry looking, like I'm cooler than you face. Like I just wanted to run smack everybody's face like I there was no I was just like well cross this off my list move on to the next job I just I found it entertaining why like just because it's like I I look at them and I'm like do you realize how ridiculous you look right now (laughs) how ridiculous you're acting so to me like you know when they are acting hard or thinking like you know, through the shit or something. I just said, okay, let's like watch a video of yourself and you tell me how that looks like. Good for you. I guess like I, this is last year at the law school when we were still live before the pandemic, we started having live shooting trainings. Oh, we have those active shooter drills. Active shooter drills. That's what the term is. And so, you know, I, 
I always think for the law school, it's like the likelihood of that happening is probably fairly small, but it was a very sobering concept. But what's interesting is, Arlita, you do work at a, and, and when you look at the stats, I mean, you look, you just said you work at a wealthier school and it's a high school. So, I mean, how do you li- like, how do you live with that fear? Do you have fear? Do you just sort of say it's life in America? I, it's hard because so prior to me working at, at Palisades, I, I worked at, I worked for Beverly Hills Unified before that. And I was, I happened to be at the high school one time, which was right across the street from the district office. And so I was at the high school visiting there, you know, helping out with the student government class. And there was a a lockdown drill, like a lockdown, like because they thought an active shooter was on campus. So I actually was stuck there for a couple hours before we got the all clear. Oh, wow. So that I was like, am I going to (laughs) die? But I mean, but at that moment, I couldn't think about like me, I had to think about like, well, how do I make sure like these kids are safe? Like, because as the adult, as like, as they, as what they teach you on the trainings, you have to, the first priority is to make sure that all the students are safe. Oh, that's really funny. That's not... (laughs) That's our priority. Like we have to make sure the kids are safe. It was basically like, how do, how do you stay alive? Mm -mm. (laughs) Well, because it's the, the kids are the ones that are scarred, you know, they're the ones that remember it. I mean, it's completely true. It's adult education, maybe, or maybe it just tells you a lot about God, I've never been through any of that. I don't even know what that, I, I can't even fathom what that kind you, of. But I gotta be honest, like you're working in a mall now when you were working in the mall. I'm still working in the mall. Like I still work at Lorna Jane one day a week. But it still makes sense that it seems to me that there would be an active shooter training. Yeah, but not to the extent that like you and like you and I would go through. Like yeah. we have to watch videos on this. We When it's, you know, when it's active shooter drill time, we actually have to put, you know, put on a video and show them like, this is a possible scenario. Or we actually like act out the scenario where one of the staff members poses as the active shooter. That's horrible. I can't believe we're living in this still. I mean, Sandy Hook, the, the anniversary was just a couple of days ago. Oh, no. It's funny, and we've talked about this before, but it's so impactful when you travel and then people say, does everybody carry a gun there? Yeah. And are people just shot down everywhere? And because they're sort of assuming that if what filtered to them is the tip of the iceberg. And I was like, it kind of is probably the tip of the iceberg. But we've had a couple of scares on our campus and we have a lot more security over the last 10 years and we get these security reports and it's, it's hard and it's stressful, but we usually have a police officer like come and talk to the faculty. Then they talk to the staff and then they have a student one. So it's for separate people. It isn't that the teach is what different the teacher doesn't do the live action training with the students it's everything is dealt with separately but it's my syllabus has changed I mean where I do have a like a 24-hour cooling off period for office hours like after I turn back grades you know where I say you know you have to sort of wait 24 hours like you have to have read through all my comments and sat for 24 hours and then like, I will meet with you. And I don't hold fast to it if I have like a good, if I feel safe with the students, but there have been students that, you know, over the last 15 years that I have not felt safe with where I have been, let's meet and have a Dean in the room, or I try to figure out a way to keep the door open. It's, it's hard, but yeah. some of that's just me being a woman, like, and I just don't feel safe because it's usually a man and the man is usually much bigger than I am. So all our classroom doors have windows on them. So yeah. there's no closed, there's no space on the campus where someone can't, 
isn't able to see through and see what's happening. That has to help. Well, depends on the situation though, right? If, if you're in an active shooter situation, then that's not ideal. Yeah. But yeah. It's true. I mean, you just don't, but Arlita, like as, as a woman, have you been bullied by high school students before? I've been fortunate enough not to, but at the same time, I feel like sometimes because I'm, I'm one of like the younger cohorts on campus. So they think I'm one of them before they realize I'm an adult. Yeah. So what happens? Like, do you just, I mean, my sense is you just let them know right away, but I mean, I kind of, it. sometimes it, it's good for like recon purposes to see what they're doing. <laughs> but I mean, when they are, I, I would say like being harmful to themselves in terms of their behavior, like, and I, I don't say harmful in the terms of like, like suicidal or anything. It's just, if they're making themselves look bad, then I let them know, look, like I'm an adult, you're acting a fool right now, just stop. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that even happens. I don't dress up when I teach. And so, and I mean, I started teaching at 29. So when I was 29 and teaching, I looked the same age as the students. Now that I'm in my fifties, I don't really look, I can't, even though we do have students who are even 70 at the law school, most students aren't mistaking me for a student anymore. But I have to say, I dress in jeans when I teach. And so, you know, if I'm standing in the elevator, or I'm in the bathroom, and it amazes me how, what pe- what inappropriate things people yes. say in a bathroom. And I will sometimes say in the stall, there's a professor in here. Yeah, <laughs> when I hear some of the kids and how they speak and just what they're saying, I'm like, adult, adult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, stop now, adult. Exactly. Have you experienced, I mean, also like you're in the the Palisades, which is a bit of a white enclave. I mean, have you experienced any kind of otherism or prejudice? The school's pretty diverse because half the population lives in the local area and then the other half is bused in. Okay. So you have this interesting like dichotomy you have. It's like the local kids and then the traveling kids and the kids who participate in all like the after school activities tend to be the kids that live closest to the school. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm fortunate enough where the environment is diverse enough where there's no like like feeling of otherism because we have such a like a mix of kids but I think within the kids they feel like oh that kid lives by school that kid doesn't have to go on the bus for two hours just to get here no doubt I mean the science shows that diversity in the classroom having a diversity of class, diversity of economic status, and a a diversity of ethnicity and and color is good for the classroom. But the concept of busing is to make that classroom happen has a lot of issues because there's other things that happen. And one of them is what you just said is somebody has a commute and somebody else doesn't. And that impacts time homework time, veg time, restorative time, whatever. I mean, what are your feelings on that concept of busing? It's a double-edged sword because I feel like if only the their local schools were, quote, good enough or were mm-hmm. to be able to provide the same quality education, then they wouldn't have to drive. They wouldn't have to be on a bus in traffic for two hours like that, it, that, that stems, it, that's a larger problem in education where not all schools are the same. They don't have all the same resources or all the same, like the same quality of education, but those kids choose to come. They, they choose to be there. They choose to travel for two hours, knowing that when they graduate, they have a quote, better chance in, in college than the kid that went to their 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 local school. Do you think that they understand that though? 
or do you think that's impressed upon them by their families? Because yeah, I sometimes wonder, like if the mom says you have to go to this school because this school is going to give you the opportunities, do the, does that kid understand I need to do well because I am getting an opportunity that my friends in my neighborhood isn't getting? Because I, I watched that movie Dope. I don't know if you've ever seen it. And I have not. Oh, Arlita, that's a I good have to movie. watch it. Yes, it's a really good movie for you. And it's about this kid that went to an, an uh, underfunded school, but he was brilliant. I think the kids know, they, they know what they're getting when they come to the school because they know that they have the same, when they're at school, they're, they feel like, well, we're the same as the kid that lives by the school they're getting that same education it's a public school yes so there are no uniforms so do you find that there's a great disparity in clothing though that does other kids other than oh no I think the the kids that are busting like their wardrobe is a lot better than the kids (laughs) that live nearby but that's normal that's yeah absolutely I mean that's very normal because I mean that I I found that as well when I you know growing up just in 19 like you know 70 something my mother would dress me much better than you know I think that's and I think that's true I mean what I was I had been very anti when I was young very anti-uniform for children But I have to say, like, I've kind of come around to the great equalizer and trying to equalize it, except that I still really find that their teenagers will always find a way, whether it's little bracelets or earrings or whatever, they'll find whatever socks, like they'll find whatever to have a click, because that's what being a teenager is about, is trying to find your own people. Like, and I don't mean your own people with color, but just find your group, right? You know, and so you're going to look to exclude uh, because that's what high school's about. Well, so, you know, cause Kadeem grew up in Australia and I, I had to provide him with the uniform every year. Cause all schools, public or private have uniforms in Australia. Yeah. I um, wore uniforms and- in, I wore a uniform in elementary and middle school. Yeah. But there is a, you know, like, so there were a couple of years because I'm a creative where I didn't have a lot of money and the uniforms were used uniforms. And he got teased. Yeah, because even that. The very uniforms, right? So there is still with the uniform is not the great equalizer that everybody thinks. Right. I think that's true. Yeah, that first year when that happened, I then had to like, you know, pull it out of my butt to get him a brand new uniform for the next year because I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want that to take away from the experience of school because high school is already hard enough for boys especially in Australia where it's such a sports orientated, you know, masculine, toxic, masculine environment. And he went to an all boys school. So it was, it was, you know, I just trying to minimize those types of things was, was very hard on, on me as a parent. Sure. So it's, it's not an equalizer the uniform. I liked uniforms, but yeah, there is that sense of like, like remember in Harry Potter where everyone would make fun of Ron Weasley yeah, because Ron Weasley. he had hand-me-downs. Yeah. Like, there is a sense of that. But I love Ron Weasley. He's kind of, I kind of had a little crush on him. Slightly inappropriate and sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he was cute as a kid. And then when he grew up, I'm like, no. Oh, I know. But I just like, if I were the kid, like if I were... Hermione, I would have had a crush on him and not Harry. That's all I'm saying. But she didn't no, have he, a crush on Harry. She that she ended up with Ron. Oh, that's right. No, he's definitely not. Neville no. had the glow up. Neville Longbottom had the glow up. Woo! <laughs> yeah. What was that? What? He's a Calvin Klein model. Dursley too. Dudley. Yeah. Dudley on the Queen's Gambit. I was like, whoa, that's Dudley. Okay. <laughs> Oh, now I need to, I'm just watching the Queen's Gambit. Which one's Dudley? He's, he's Beltic. All right, well, I need to look him up. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm lost on the names. So I'm going to look. So I just started the Queen's Gambit. I'm on episode two. I'm going to, I'm going to try to watch over the Christmas ho- holiday when I'm not working as much. Yeah, he's Beltic. I that's saw that. Um, I noticed him right away. That's Dudley. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look. 
it's so weird that we can think about that now. I was like such a huge, my son was a huge Harry Potter fan. Oh, I was a huge fan. And, but I thought like my, my, his dad and I thought the best way for us to like have conversations with him around the dinner table was we were going to read the books as well. And then we always had something to talk about. And so we all read them and we all became fans and was one of those things. And so, you know, now looking at Harry Potter and looking how much they've grown, they're all adults. Like, Hermione is a brilliant, whatever her real name oh. is. She's a brilliant oh, Emma, Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Yeah, oh, she's brilliant. What a woman she has become. But no, it's true. Grow up on screen. No, it's true. Well, I mean, I, it's funny about the books because when I was in Malawi the first year at Jacaranda and I was just looking for anything because I was there to teach like writing and creative writing and do this stuff. And I was looking for some connection. And, you know, I thought it would have been like Dr. Seuss or something because they get most of their books, they're donated. And I hadn't read Malawian, any Malawian literature at that point. And so I was looking for a point. And then somebody said, have you read Harry Potter? And I'm like, Harry Potter is the great equalizer. Like it is just, I mean, people, there was one, one student, Pempero, he like, brought from home like he had one copy of like the first book or something and he was like I actually have the book and so it was it's a way in you know it's it was a way in and it really was like it's world literature on the sense that the way people read the three musketeers people will have read Harry Potter like that it is just what it is or William Shakespeare it really is that same level of worldwide appeal well it's funny um Kadeem had this like this suggestion of like starting a dating app only with Harry Potter fans and so oh, wow be so, <laughs> everybody like but no I mean it's still niche I mean we all are we all like it but it's still niche there are still I mean I know people who've never watched the movie I don't want to be friends with them but I know someone <laughs> that the movie, like well we can't be friends yeah, I don't know. How I feel about just like, just like you know what the three of us have all done CrossFit. I think if I had not done CrossFit, yeah, I don't know if any of us would be friends. It's not called CrossFit anymore. It's strength and conditioning. Yes, well, yes, <laughs> yes. but we did CrossFit. <laughs> That's how we hey, all met. Tia Claire Toomey is now on the Australian bobsled team. Oh, what? And this is going to be Australian Cool Runnings. I know, right? <laughs> this is the CrossFit Games, Alex. She won the CrossFit Games and she's like dominant. I think wow. she's, she's won it like three times. She's won it three times. This is, is she's dominant. She is now, she's not giving it up. I don't think she's going to give up CrossFit, but she's <laughs> it's like, what? I saw this video and I'm going, what, what am I looking at? What is this? I, 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 I had to turn it off. That's crazy. All right. Well, let's get back. I want to know, like, so you teach math. Yes. Math was my favorite subject in high school. So because the thing I loved about math that I thought most teenagers should love is that the world is out of control for a teenager in math. Although I know this isn't true, like for advanced mathematics, right? But high school math, even calculus, like there's a right answer and a wrong answer. And so what I loved is that you could work yourself to death, but you could figure out the right answer. And that just gave me power where like English, I just, you wrote a paper. It was, it could always be better. You, you know, there was always an awkward sentence. It was, the feedback was always vague. I didn't well, ever have a good history teacher back in high school. So that was kind of a clusterfuck, but I had great math teachers and. But math is different now. Well, right. Well, I, I have learned because I have a nephew and a niece who are do, using the new math. What is new math? What are you guys talking about? Okay. So have you watched the, incre- like the second Incredibles where Mr. Incredible is trying to teach his son math. And then his son says, dad, that's not how you do it. And then he gets really angry. And he says, I don't get this math is math. Yes. Well, it's because they're, so they changed the 
standards for, for math teaching. It's called Common Core. So what they want kids to do now, instead of memorizing that two plus two is four, they want you to understand why two plus two is four. Okay, but I wait a minute. Like, this is just the thing. I understand the way I learned math. I understand why two plus two is four. But over time, kids were just memorizing that. All right, I guess they're going to fake it. All right, maybe that's true. So they're trying to make sure that students are understanding the concepts of math. They want them to understand why two plus two is four or why, you know, this is like, especially like in a geometry class, why this is a right angle, why this is 90 degrees. So they want, instead of just like regurgitating, they want you to know like the application like why is this happening like it's more like because obviously like the calculators can do it for you now there's no need to actually like know how to do the how oh to God, I think she just said that we didn't have calculators growing up one yeah I think she just <laughs> <laughs> well I mean even when I went to school even when like when I was going to school, the teachers always told us, like, you know, no calculators. You have to yeah, do it. it. That was true. We weren't allowed calculators. Yeah, we, I wasn't allowed a calculator. I don't think ever, I wasn't I allowed one. Yeah. But it's still the way they solve the problem. Like, I know, it, like, it's with squares and a chart and. Conceptual. It's I, I the way I see it, it's a bunch of English teachers trying to teach you math. <laughs> so you're not a pro common core I don't think it's bad. Like, like in theory, it's a good, it's good to know what these concepts are. It's good to under, have that understanding. Like, like, how did you arrive at this answer? Like, it's good to have that analytic side, but at the same time for something so simple, it's like, do, do I really have to, to go through this exercise? Well, right. Like, so I guess I have questions now and this is, and I'm excited because this is, <laughs> No, and here's why I'm excited because law is actually a language. Like, so right, law is actually. I always say, like, when we're doing proofs in geometry, when we're saying, when we're trying to prove something, that's like, like lawyers go through this too. They're oh my goodness, we are soulmates because (laughs) when I sit and teach brief writing. I stand up and say, does everybody remember geometry? And they're like- remember proofs. And remember proofs. And then they all like groan and are miserable. And they're like, I just want to write it. I was an English major. I was like, well, you're- No, you have to go through the logic. (laughs) You have to prove it. You have to go through these steps. Absolutely. So like for me, wouldn't it be better to just teach math? I mean, any old way the math teacher wanted to teach math, but then have a reflection component where then the student has to talk about why they arrived at the answer they arrived to try to understand the why, because I understand the concept of conceptualism and teaching concepts, but it's the same way like we learn to read. At some point, we just are memorizing sounds. sounds, And it's not memorizing, it's just by rote, we own it. Like it's sort of when I teach law as a language, I sort of am talking about, you just need to understand the basics of what the laws are, not that I know what the exact laws are, but like where the issues or the gray area is going to be the same way I know that the word the is an article. And then if you were to ask me what an article was, I'd have to, I'd be hard pressed to sort of give you a succinct definition of the word the, but I could certainly tell you its function. Well, that's where showing your work comes in though. Like when you know, when, when they're doing a problem right. and when they're assigned a word problem, like we always tell them like, show your work. So we could see, we could see what like the, you know, the reasoning behind your madness is we can see what steps you've gone through. And then when we look at those steps, then we can say, okay, well, this is where you, this is where you went wrong. This is why you didn't get the right answer. That's totally true. And so then, I mean, but everything's going to have fads. I mean, like in the sense that this is just a phase that we're going through with math, but all even the focus on STEM classes. I mean, what are your opinions on that as like raising educated adults? We live in a STEM society, like everything, everything these kids interact with has a, a STEM background, you know, like these kids are, the students right now, they're digital natives. 
they're not like me where I knew a time before the internet. Right. Well, no, we're digital immigrants. Absolutely. So these kids are digital natives. So everything they touch, whether they think about it or not, has a STEM aspect to it. So for them to be able to understand like where that like, why are they able to do something on an app or why are they able to, you know, turn their homework in online that like, it's good for them to know. And that's kind of like where our, our economy and where the jobs are headed is towards that STEM path. I agree. So then what, so something does have to go like, so when I always think about what, if school is going to remain like at the present calendar, with summers off and also maintain the hours it does, which I I think is correct. I don't, I'm not sure I believe in summers off, but the concept that it's limited time, that it's on a full-time work day. The kids have more to learn now than we did or than our parents did. And so what goes? Well, I think that's where this pandemic is kind of coming in is, Like before, when we were coming into the classroom, you had to turn your homework in before school start, before you went to class, you know, before first period started. But because of this pandemic, the kids have more flexibility in their time. So now you can say, as long as it's in before midnight, you could do it in your own time and in your own pace. So it's changing the way education is being delivered because before it was more like, it was more of that rigid time. Okay. Like, you know, your block schedule periods, one, your odd days, periods one, three, and five, but now it's okay. Well, you still have periods one, three, and five, because we have to still meet the state requirements of instructional minutes, but you have this time to, to kind of do it on your own and, and turn it in before this, before a certain time, instead of the the hard date, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But so how does that change what needs to get taught to have a child come out with what we would call the, you know, the model high school education? I think it depends on like, what do we define as the model education? Are we valuing a like, cause so the kids go through what they call like an A, A through G requirements, which are the requirements to get into like any Cal, like for your college. So the debate we've always had is, are we prioritizing the A through G requirements or are we prioritizing A through G? But if the the student feels like college isn't for them, can we offer them other pathways? Right. So I know like Europe systems, which a lot of progressives always look towards, well, Europe does this and education is free. But one of the downsides of a European education is that you might live until 90, but you're kind of tracked when you're a teenager. And so education is free because they're sort of deciding who's smart enough and who isn't smart enough in high school. And as Americans, we have people who are acting like teenagers until they're 30. So like, how do you kind of have that too, though? Because when you're in high school, you have the kids who are taking the AP classes who are obviously on the four-year, on the track to go to a four-year school. And then you have the kids who don't take the AP classes. and, And where do they fit in? Like, where do you put them? You put them in the classes that that just give them the minimum requirement to graduate or are you offering them some something more so like where i work we have a like a vocational program so the kids can go explore like career oriented classes where they can learn like business or photography or programming so they don't have to they're not limited to that that A through G, like I have to go to a four-year college track. I wish there was a way to equalize it all, like in the sense that you don't have to decide, you just have to take what you're interested in and do the best you can. And and I don't know how that to starts do that. with education with parents though. Like the, the parents have to uh, the parents have to stop putting this pressure on the kids yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like that again. But it's the schools you know. too, because yes. like the schools also put this enormous pressure. If you go to, you know, if you go to the school, they always say like they always talk about like how because in California you have the UC system and you have the Cal State system. So if you the Cal States are more oriented towards you know, preparing you for the workforce. Whereas if you go to a UC school such as UCLA or UC Berkeley, it's more trying to prepare you for grad school. And there's always like, for some reason or another, there's always more prestige placed on a UC school. And so like when I was in high school going trying to decide what college to go through. I was always told like, oh, the UC school is like, it's so prestigious. Like you should go there. And during my time there, it's like, yeah, I, I learned a lot. But at the same time, I'm like, this does not prepare you for the workforce. Yeah, no, it's completely true. Well, it also just depends. Like what I also think the workforce has changed because at least when I, I was graduating unless you wanted to have a STEM career like an engineer or a doctor or you knew you wanted to go to law school. The idea is that you would get a job and you'd be trained on the job. Like, so there were management training programs everywhere that you could move into that. I just felt a good liberal arts education was making me a good citizen, you know, and a well-rounded individual that could speak about history and that knew how to, I mean, quite frankly, knew the difference between fake news and and real news and and would be able to, knew enough, had the analytical ability to figure out how to get a job and how to do those things. I mean, I felt like college gave me that. But what makes me sad about the high school pressure, because I agree with Lenya that a lot of this pressure is bad and it makes me really sad and it makes... Because even in 1985 or 1984, like, so when I was a junior in high school and I went to a very good public high school that was competitive and I was competitive and I figured out, and I don't know, I mean, Arlita, I did not know how I know this. Like, I don't know who told me because my parents didn't tell me this, but I knew that your GPA and your ranking depended on what level of class you were taking. And I was taking mostly honors and AP classes, but I really wanted to take photography and I really wanted to take psychology. These were two things that I was really interested in doing as electives rather than astro. I took astronomy and I took biochemistry. Those are the two. And I was interested in science. Don't get me wrong. Like I loved science, but I didn't take the two classes that lit me up because they were ranked lower. So they wouldn't count in the logarithm of my GPA. So like an A in that class was worth a C in biochemistry. And I was like, well, I'm never going to get a C in biochemistry. I'm probably getting A in biochemistry. So I'm going to take biochemistry. The fact that a 16 year old needs to make those kinds of decisions mm-hmm is a travesty to me. But that still exists today, though. Because I know. No, I think it's worse today. I mean, the fact that this was happening- It's a lot worse today. Right. And I would like to, rem- that, I would like that not to happen because it's, you know- I never knew any of that crap. How come I didn't know but It's such a- like- Neither. I mean, but I was really, I mean, call it my Virgo moon and my Capricorn rising, but I was going to know that shit. You know what I mean? And so I just knew it. And I was a fear-based, rigid little kid. And I was like, well, I got to get in the best school I can. This is stupid. This wasn't even my parents were like, why are you dropping photography? You love that class. I'm like, sorry. I mean, this didn't even have anything to do with them. This was my own, like, I own that, but that was, it was lousy. And I feel bad for all these kids, but I am going to say that. And then I'm going to say something else too, is that I taught at USC for a little while as a fellow. So I taught writing there and I could tell the difference between the good high schools and the bad high schools, like in the writing class and the level of analysis, like I could tell like from reading a paper, I was like, you went to a good high school, you went to a bad high school. And then we would go in office hours and they either went to private high school 
they went to a high school in like the West side or, you know, or they, or they were just, it was better. And then in law school, I tend to also have the same, like, oh, you went to a better college. I can see it. Like I can see it. I mean, so it's such a deep problem, but it makes me sad. No, it's worse now because it's because of how competitive it is to get into college. It It's become this, this zero sum game. Yeah. Do you feel like, what did you think of that whole Hollywood scandal? I mean, part of me was like, of course, you know, that existed. Of course, you knew that, like, you know, the people who have their names on buildings, like, of course, all their kids got in. Yeah. It's something everybody kind of knew that was going on in the down low, but it just, it was just never said out loud. Like as a, like as a poor kid growing up, I, I knew that was going on. Like, of course right. that kid's going to get into, you know, Stanford before me. Right. How has the pandemic like changed your teaching? Are you most, you're remote, you're in California. So you've been remote all semester. Yeah. I mean, I still go into the classroom because I, I feel more comfortable there because, you know, everything's there for me. So sure. It, but it, so, well, I want to talk about that too. Like what danger you're taking on to yourself by going in. Cause my suspicion is then other teachers are going in too. There's only a handful, like most people, most teachers, if they want to be at home, then they're going to be at home. But for me, like I'm most more of the choice. Yeah. yeah, you have the choice. So I'm more, there's only like five of us that go in. Okay. So, honest. You're, so it's not like I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm more at danger when I go into like the supermarket. So, but I mean, it's been hard. At first, it was really difficult because none of us really had a plan. Like, we didn't know how long this was going to be, we didn't know what we were doing. We had training and online learning before, but to this extent, we were like, well, we don't, like, how are we scheduling our work? How are we getting through the kids? So it it was tough at first, but now it's okay. This is our new normal. This is, unfortunately, this is what we have to go through. And and yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard because, you know, it's, I always say the kids that are getting an A are fine. They can do it themselves. The kids that were failing before, unfortunately, they're going to, be in that same situation but it's the kid in between that's getting the the b and c kids that's who's getting lost because one one event or one one thing can spark something in them and that could be the difference and to not have that is is really sad it's true what are things that you've done to try to keep kids engaged just giving them like real life situations. Like I feel like that's a math problem for us to do. Yeah. Like in me, in geometry, we're like, okay, well let's calculate the, the radius of how this could spread, you know, just giving them real life, like something tangible. Cause I, I, cause you know, most of the time, you know, the students are asking like, when am I going to use this? Like, how is this applicable? That's always the question you get in, in math is like, when am I going to use this? I was like, okay, fine. I'll show you when you're going to use this. Good for you. I find that I use math to relax. So what? what? I will sometimes find a old SAT or a GRE and do the math because I find it comforting. Again, it's the right answer. It's the certainty. It is. It's knowing it's knowing that there's a constant that knowing that there there there's a right and a wrong instead of this gray area. Exactly. So are are your kids meeting via Zoom? Are you meeting with them on Zoom all the time? Yeah, so the way our schedule works is we meet every day for an hour. And then on Fridays is what they call asynchronous days where the kids work independently. And do they? I I mean, for me, I'm like, I don't care what you do as long as your work is in. I, I always tell them like, look, the, the silver lining is this. And this is how college is going to be. Hmm. Like no one's watching you in college. No one, no one cares what you do in college. 
as long as your work is turned in. So this is a, a preparation for you. So what are what is one of the weirdest things you've seen online from one of your high school students? I mean, most of them are are good because you know these kids have grown up being in front of a camera all their lives right so they, they're pretty aware of being in front of a, the camera I think it's the people around them that are not aware so I mean I've seen like parents walking around with a glass of wine <laughs> or <laughs> or that yeah, would be like me. oh hey that would be me yeah. Or just like, you know, their brothers and sisters in the background, or I've seen people with like video games on. I'm like, okay, like, hey, you can turn that game off, guys. No, I know. Well, I've seen many people's partners walk around in a towel behind them, which I just don't know what to do with that. I have seen people vaping. Which I'm like, are you vaping nicotine or is that just weed? And, you know, both are legal. So what am I supposed to do? But I was like, all right. Their sense of awareness in front of a camera is very natural to them. Right. I'm the one that's not aware. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I can't let you know that I'm wearing sweatpants, guys. Or, Well, I, it's funny that you say that because I sometimes make all my students stand up to show me what they're wearing. <laughs> Hashtag no pants. <laughs> I mean, I was like, you don't have to stand up if you're going to be embarrassed, but I want to see what everybody's wearing. And then it's funny because most everybody's wearing pajamas or like, you know, gym shorts. And it just sets a good tone for the class because we all know we're in it together because I'm usually teaching in jean shorts. But my partner has so far the worst story where he like was in a meeting and his one of his people and it was a guy and he was like working in his bedroom he had a bedroom office but like Eric could see like the lotion and the tissues like (laughs) the the night table and Eric's like I don't want to be looking at that like every day but I can't help it I mean he's doing see that yeah, there was like that is so horrible. So now it's horrible because now when I'm teaching or I'm in office hours and I have students, I'm always kind of looking to see like what gross oh, things I can see. Oh, I'm totally room rating. Like if the kid doesn't have a virtual background on, I am playing I Spy in that room. I it's like yeah, what you have. I don't. I really don't like the virtual backgrounds. I find it unless somebody is really steady you know, they move and then they're yeah. just sort of, they look, yeah, it, it, it looks weird. And it looks a little bit weird. I have a really funny story about backgrounds, zoom backgrounds. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I formula one, of course, they, they have the press conferences and the, because of COVID the press can't, can't uh, travel to the races. So they all zoom in. So there's this one guy who always has this like desert background when he makes these comments None of the drivers can concentrate because of the background. And one guy who's, you know, he's a bit of a comedian anyway, was like, oh, so you're in the desert and you're going to have, are you going to have a fight? Are, is this Vegas? Are you a welterweight? Maybe you look like you're a welterweight. Anyway, and then never answers the question. The guy is so embarrassed. How's it come back? Oh no! Oh no! That's horrible. Did he come back? So anytime this guy is, but, but but wait, then he tried to do it again. He had another background, and he was uh, this other very outspoken driver. Was like, your background is distracting me. I don't even know what you asked. You. <laughs> I, mean, oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I I don't mind the virtual backgrounds because then I don't. Because for me, if I if they don't have it, then I I start room rating. No, it's true. And I never say anything to anyone because I certainly appreciate that it's a great equalizer that nobody has to see because certainly some of our law students are living with many people. Some of our law students have their own homes or have their own office. So I, I mean, I get all of it. I would never say anything, but my personal thing is I don't mind room rating because I find it fascinating because I like entertaining. I like to see how other people live. You know, one law student who lives with another law student, they've made their whole 
apartment into basically a law school. So it's like covered with whiteboards and there's law everywhere. So they took me on a little tour and I'm like, well, that just kind of looks like a nightmare place to live. But they're like, but you know, they're both really good students. And I'm like, I see why, you know, I mean, they basically made their apartment into a law school and it's cool, but I, I don't mind being nosy. Like I, I, I sort of like that. So somebody in an interview for moot court, we have for law, we have a specific kind of citation manual and he was interviewing and he interviewed in his bookcase, but in his bookcase, he put like the, that citation manual, like front and center. And we commented on it in the interview and he's like, Oh, I did that on purpose for you guys. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, you know, like that's, it kind of just passes the time. It's it's like, we're in this, we're in this horrific situation and little things like room rating. It's just, it helps pass the time. Like my yeah. room is never going to look as cool as Lenya's, but <laughs> my room doesn't, I have a back, like a, whatever that is. Look, it's a cool background. It's not a white void. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but it is that idea. Like I find that it breaks giving I did like for a small class I taught this summer on zoom I I gave people the opportunity if they wanted to give us a tour like of their zoom room or their office and what was nice is that usually you just get to know somebody in the hallway or you get to like see what they're eating or you get to see I don't know like there's just a sense of the person's energy and so doing the little tours like somebody you know, somebody's background, they have Lakers everywhere. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, I get it. I see what you're about. And then somebody else did a tour. They, they basically make fake baby Yodas to sell them online. Like, Ooh, I want one of those. (laughs) (laughs) It was fascinating that he has this entire manufacturing line, like in his apartment (laughs) making like fake baby Yodas. And it was, I just was like, I so, love this. Are we gonna down? Are we gonna put the link to his shop in our? Yeah. Almost. Every day is like, like I'm kind of dating myself with the kids when I say like, oh, this is like MTV Cribs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally true. I date myself when I'll say something like, it's like an Agatha Christie mystery, and they'll be like what <laughs> and I was like hey, those were fun to read okay I know it and I was like it's, not, it's before my time too god damn it chill out but no you're still young you need all your street cred like I use Eric who is like the most introverted person on the planet but my partner he, he has such street cred because he worked on Bojack Horseman and Robot Chicken so these are kids that grew up with those shows so I always try to drop that into <laughs> the first class to give me a little bit of cred and they'll be like oh right my parents watch that and then I know it's done like no I I only know anything cool because of the kids yeah like without them I'm like I don't know any of this stuff I'm not you you got a bit of cred yeah you're like crossfit like straight how much you deadlifted yeah no that's not impressive (laughs) it's impressive yes Cause it's you're a little per. I see you're a little person. You just no, but I'm a little big person. You are so. not a little. Big. She's just. Uh, <laughs> I weigh 160 pounds. I'm a little. I'm five two. I'm a little big person. That is that. That's all muscle. It, it, and and weight on the scale it doesn't mean anything, right? It no, means nothing. Like oh, I, I don't. I'm not like. Oh yeah. Like I'm like. I'm dissatisfied. It's like no. Like I eat happily. That's why. Like I'm not on any like dietary restrictions or anything. So, well, that's why you should be impressed with your deadlift. My my two twenty. Two twenty. That's amazing. That is. No, I want. I want to hit three hundred. Like like everybody else at the yeah, gym. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm with you right there. Okay. I'm with you right there. Well, that's like a good part to close out on. So we're yeah. all going to aim to deadlift 300 pounds. <laughs> that's our New Year's resolution. I don't do resolutions because then that's just, most of the time it's just setting yourself unrealistic expectations. I think it's more like, well, what did you do to, to progress? It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like teaching. Well, what did you do? How did you get there? Right. And early to this Thanks so much, Arlita. 
No, yes. thanks for having me. Oh, like, I, I'm, we're I'm, gonna have you back on. What? I'm a fan of the podcast. I listen every week. Oh, we love <laughs> I love hearing that. Makes me feel so happy because this is a labor of love for Lenya and I. So it really is, but we love it. Love for me. I think I just made a grammatical error. So no, it's good. It's good content. So. Well, thank you for talking to us about teaching high school. It's something that nobody really thinks about very much, except for what we see in the news or all the bad things. And I think it is important. And thank you for your service because yes, you you're know, a frontline worker. Yeah. Well, in teaching teenagers, Jesus. No, I wouldn't say front, like it's still the, you know, the nurses and the, cause I have the, I, I, at least I have options, but yeah, like a nurse or a grocery store worker, like they don't have the options. Of That's true. But I still think making teaching interesting and the way you talked about it and the way you love and care for your kids, that's, you know, that's what's going to keep us, keep those kids from falling through the cracks. I mean, the stories you hear on the news about how this pandemic. I, I, like, I hope they don't fall through. I hope like they don't fall through the cracks. You can only, you, know, you can only do your best. And but that's all you can tell them. I mean, what I find right with Zoom with, with so many of our students in all seriousness who are living with frontline workers or are just living with high-risk people is just being there for them and listening and, and teaching with radical empathy is important. And I mean, and I sort of, I guess I teach with the twin philosophy of radical honesty and radical empathy. And maybe you can come on and we can talk about when there's friction between those two things. Ooh, that would be a good episode. Because, you know, that's always tough. But anyway, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye, Bye everybody. Find us at womenbridgingthegap.com and check out our show notes below for other ways to talk with us.